the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. CBN Pinellas Park. Churches have reopened for in-person services, and the only thing they're missing is you. Worship at your local... Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And what was the significance of this? We know it's supernatural. We know God caused it. What was the the purpose behind this? None of the gospel writers explain this, but we're not left in doubt because the rest of the Bible clearly witnesses to the fact that darkness is a sign of God's judgment upon sin. God's judgment upon sin. That's not conjecture. That's not a guessing game. There were many details of the crucifixion recorded in the Gospels that are not easy to understand unless we look for the explanations elsewhere in the Bible. Why it got dark while Jesus was on the cross is one of those details. Welcome to Verse by Verse. We are glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Steve Kreloff begins a three-part message that will conclude this series on the significance of the cross. Pastor Steve is the pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes are an extension of his pulpit ministry. Our text is the 15th chapter of Mark's Gospel, beginning with verse 33. As we saw in the previous lessons, the crucifixion was a noisy affair with various people taunting and mocking Jesus. But now, as Jesus grows weaker, it seems that there is a hush in the air. I have been present for the deaths of three people in my life. My daughter and my brother-in-law were Christ followers. The other was a stranger. All three were incredibly somber times. No one seemed to want to break the silence. Imagine how much more somber it must have been as the Son of God was dying. As we read this passage, we can feel the solemnness of those awesome hours. Let's open our Bibles and learn about the significance of some of the things that occurred during those last few hours Jesus spent on the cross. I'd like you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, and we want to look at verses 33 through 41. Not sure how far in our study we'll get of that, but we'll pick it up where we leave off. Mark chapter 15, verse 33, and when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. 
And there were also some women looking on from afar, among them whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. In this passage of Scripture, we have come in our study to the most solemn moment in human history. Without doubt, the most solemn moment. It's the last three hours of our Lord's life. We started our study in the Gospel of Mark many moons ago now by seeing that God sent John the Baptist as the forerunner of Messiah. And his role was to announce that Messiah was coming and then introduce Messiah to the nation. And he did that at his baptism. John introduced Christ to Israel at the Lord's baptism. And then Jesus began his ministry. And what a ministry it was. It's a ministry that Mark characterizes by activity, by busyness, by movement. In fact, one of the key words in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately. I think in the King James Version it says straightway, but it means immediately. And Mark's portrayal of Christ is one of the great servants. He is the servant of the Lord who is constantly busy doing good. He heals, he does miracles, he teaches. He gives signs indicating his messiahship, and it's all centered around the theme of the servanthood. Every gospel writer seems to focus on a theme in their portrayal of Christ. Mark's theme is, is that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. And the key verse in Mark's gospel is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, the greatest demonstration of servanthood is seen in the fact that he died. He gave his life as a ransom. He was born to die. The cross is the, the culminating point of history. It's the climax of the life of Jesus Christ. So it all boils down to these last three hours of his life as he hangs on the cross in payment for our sin. And just like we saw last week, Mark gives a, a list of a number of things that went on on the cross and events, and events surrounding the crucifixion. And he really doesn't uh, explain a whole lot. We have to look at other portions of Scripture to, to make uh, theological sense of this. But Mark understands that. He's simply recording the events. But these events have tremendous significance. And so what we're going to see is six events and their significance. We're going to see darkness. There's a darkness. Why? Why is there darkness? That's what we're going to look at. There was a declaration of agony when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We want to understand that. We're going to see his death. He didn't die as normal people die. He didn't die as anyone else who's ever been crucified died. So we're going to look at his death. Then we see that there's a dividing of the temple curtain. There was a temple uh, there at that point, and there was a curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies. When Jesus died, the Bible says that curtain was ripped in half. It was torn. There's a division. We're going to see the discernment of the centurion who looked and said, certainly this is the Son of God. And then we're going to see some women and their devotion to the Lord. I don't know, as I said before, how far we'll, we'll get, but uh, we'll see, we'll see how, how time what time allows us. But let's begin by looking at the darkness in verse 33. Darkness. And when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now Mark tells us that Jesus was placed on the cross at nine in the morning. We know that from verse 25. 
He says it was the third hour, verse 25, when they crucified him. That's nine in the morning. It's helpful to understand the Jewish people reckon time from, from six in the morning and then six o'clock in the evening. So the third hour from six in the morning would be nine in the morning. So you have to keep in mind, he was placed on the cross at nine in the morning. In case you're wondering if there's a contradiction in the Bible, because John does not say that. I forget the hour that John says, but he doesn't say uh, the same thing that, that Mark says, because Mark is using Hebrew time, John is, is reckoning it from Roman time. There's no contradiction. They're both right. But if you don't know that, you might think it's a contradiction. So the Lord was placed on the cross at nine in the morning. Now, during those first three hours, the gospel writers tell us about a number of things that went on. People passed by and, and they mocked Christ. They insulted him. The chief priests and the Pharisees were, were mocking him and ridiculing him. Even the two robbers crucified with, with Christ threw insults at him, at least initially. One later was, was converted, but, uh, but initially they insulted him. That was all going on the first three hours. And how did Jesus respond to his cruel tormentors? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, Who, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. However, we shouldn't conclude that Jesus never spoke while on the cross, because he did. He had, he had a number of things to say. During those first three hours, he, he said three statements, or three different times he spoke, at least that, that we're told. And these words were not words of vengeance. They were not words to get back at anybody. They were words of love and grace. He prayed to the Father. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Then a little bit later, to the thief, he said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. To his mother, he said, Woman, behold your son, meaning... John the Apostle. I'm dying and John will take care of you. And then he turned to John and he said, Behold your mother. Meaning, take care of her, John. Because at this point, his own flesh and blood brothers, at least half-brothers, were not believers. The Bible says that they became believers after the resurrection. So he entrusted his mother into the care of John the Apostle. But now, according to verse 33, it is 12 noon, or the sixth hour, just three hours later, and it is, the, it is 12 noon, and something supernatural takes place. When the sun would normally shine its brightest, Mark says that darkness fell over the whole land. So for the next three hours, from noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, when you normally would expect it to be the brightest, the Bible says that darkness settled over the whole land of Israel. Now, what was going on, and what, what did it signify? Darkness. Well, first of all, let me say that we need to understand that this eerie midday darkness was not natural. It was supernatural. It was not an eclipse in the sense of an astronomical uh, eclipse. And the reason we know that is because it was Passover time. And Passover time would mean there was a full moon, which would mean that the sun and the moon were far apart. To have an eclipse in an astronomical sense, you have to have the moon passing in front of the sun. So it was not that. Also, an eclipse would, would not last for three hours. So it was, was not something that just naturally occurred, a natural phenomena. Also, we know it wasn't caused by a thunderstorm or a storm that would come in from the desert. There were thunderstorms and there, there were storms from the desert, but we know that this would not, uh, this would not cover the whole area, not just that little, you know, strip outside of Jerusalem. It wouldn't cover the whole area and it wouldn't be dark for three hours. Now, in Luke's gospel, he explains this darkness by saying the sun being obscured, which basically means the sun failed. The sun failed. In other words, God intervened so that the sun failed to function the way it normally did 
And therefore, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Israel lay in darkness. Now, what was the significance of this? We know it's supernatural. We know God caused it. What was the, the purpose behind this? None of the gospel writers explain this, but we're not left in doubt because the rest of the Bible clearly witnesses to the fact that darkness is a sign of God's judgment upon sin. God's judgment upon sin. That's not conjecture. That's not a guessing game. Uh, I have a number of verses in front of me that I won't take the time to read all of them, but let me just show you one or two. Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13, verse 9. Now, you don't need to turn here. I'll, uh, I'll just read it to you. Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 11 says this, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and the day of the Lord is often a day of judgment. It can go beyond that, but often the, the thrust of it is the day of judgment. The day of the Lord is coming, cruel with with uh, fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and, and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Now, that's not to say that this was fulfilled when Jesus died, but it is to say, and it will be fulfilled, by the way, what Isaiah was talking about in the great tribulation period, but it is to say that God speaks of darkness. When he speaks of darkness, it is almost always in connection with judgment, judgment of mankind's sin. If you want to write down some other verses, Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 speak of the same thing. Amos 8, 9, uh, Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I mean, it's throughout the Old Testament that darkness is equated with judgment. So I want to keep that in mind. And I suppose maybe the clearest example of this, an illustration of this, and something that will help you in your understanding, is that it's helpful to know that, uh, remember back in Exodus chapter 10, you have Moses saying to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh saying, okay, you can go, and then he changes his heart, and he hardens his heart, and finally God said, that's it, that's it. The Passover lambs will be slain and, and the, the angel of death will pass over the lands. And anyone who does not have a Passover lamb that was killed and protects them, the, the blood being applied to the doorpost, uh, their firstborn will be taken. However, what you may not realize is that there was a judgment of darkness that fell over the whole lands of Egypt or most of the lands of Egypt for three Days before the Passover lamb was ever slain and the Passover judgment, there was darkness for three days. So now, years later, before the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus, was to be slain, darkness comes over the land of Israel, not for three days, but for three hours. So that's sort of the analogy here. Now why? Because God was pouring out divine judgment. God was pouring out wrath. He was pouring out judgment on human sin, and it was his son who was experiencing this judgment because he was dying in our place as our substitute sin bearer. So darkness means divine judgment on sin. You see, for the first three hours that Jesus hung on the cross, there was activity from the people, and there were words from Christ's lips. But when the darkness came, the activity ceased, and Jesus became silent. Why? Because for those next three hours, Jesus Christ bore our sins. I take it that he wasn't actually our substitute, at least God pouring out his wrath, until those three hours came. 
Not the first three hours, but the second three hours. Uh, Paul puts it in the most clear way that anyone can understand. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us. The clearest way. He who knew no sin became sin for us. God darkened the sky to make a statement. And that's what he's doing through all these, these events. He's making a statement that he is judging man's sin. Remember 33 years earlier when Jesus came into the world, it was a time of light as the Shekinah glory shone round about the, the fields and, and the, uh, uh, the angels filled the night with joy. There was sounds and there was light. But now, 33 years later, there's darkness and there's silence that have fallen upon Israel for three hours. But that silence was eventually broken at the end of three hours when Jesus spoke and made a declaration of agony. So we move from darkness. Darkness speaks of judgment, God's judgment upon man's sin. Now the second event is the declaration of agony. Verse 34. At the ninth hour, so this is the end of the darkness, the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And Mark translates it for his Roman readers, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. You see, for those three hours, in a way that no one can fully comprehend, let me just stop to, to encourage you. No one can fully comprehend what we're about to look at. In fact, we're told that Martin Luther supposedly went into seclusion for a long time trying to comprehend the concept of, of this very thing and came away sometime later just as confused as when he entered that seclusion. Nobody fully understands what I'm about to tell you. Nobody fully grasps that. Only the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God can fully comprehend this. But for those three hours, God the Father abandoned God the Son. He abandoned Him. He was forsaken, Jesus was forsaken by the Father in the sense that the Father turned His back on His own Son. It's not that the Son ceased to be God. It's not that He ceased to be part of the, the triunity or trinity of God. It's just that at that time, for the first time in eternity, their fellowship was broken. For he who knew no sin, he who had never experienced sin, never had a sinful thought, never a sinful action, for, that, for, for those three hours, he became sin for us. Not only was he dying in our place, but he actually became sin for us. Their fellowship was broken. There was a spiritual separation that had never taken place. You imagine for all of eternity, for before we were, God is the only one who is. If you think enough about that, it'll blow your mind. God is. And they had never had a moment between them where they had broken fellowship. Never. But now it happened. And it was sin that did it. But it was not Christ's sin. Our sin, See, Isaiah 53.5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. Galatians 3.13 says he became a curse for us. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says Christ died for our sins. Mark 10.45 says that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then, right after that, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for our sins, once for all the just for the unjust, in, in order that he might bring us to God. God the Father had to turn his back on his Son. 
Because the Bible says that in Habakkuk 1.13 that God is of purer eyes than to look upon sin with favor. God couldn't even look with favor upon his own son because at that moment, for those three hours, he was sin in our place. See, the words of Jesus express the depth of his sufferings. That's why he prayed so violently in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't that he feared the physical torture of crucifixion as much as he, as he feared, and that's probably not a good word, fear, but uh, that he did not look forward and the anguish and agony of knowing that he would face separation from God the Father. That's the pain of the cross for Christ. Many people died by crucifixion. Many people. That wasn't special on that day. I told you last week about 30,000 alone had been crucified in, by the Romans in Israel. But no one had experienced a death like this, where he who knew intimate fellowship for all of eternity had that fellowship broken. We can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend that. So the words of Christ express the depth of his sufferings and agony as the Father turned from him and Jesus experienced no intimate fellowship with the Father for the first time ever. And I want you to know that Jesus didn't simply feel alone. He was alone. He was alone. He didn't simply feel abandoned. He was abandoned. So abandoned by God, and this is the, this is the true consequence and price of sin. It is aloneness. You know, I've had people say to me as I've shared the gospel with them, listen, Hell can't be that bad. I'm going to be with my buddies in hell. No, you're not. No, you're not. The Bible speaks of it as separation, not only from God, but from other people. It is isolation. It is separation. It is torment. The Bible calls it outer darkness. No, you're not going to be having a, a, a good old time with your, your buddies, you know, the good old boys and gals down there. No. No, it's not the way the Bible puts it. 2 Thessalonians tells us the way the Bible puts it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of, of when Christ comes back and he pours out his wrath on those who have rejected him. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's what hell is. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of, of his power. It is being totally alone. And that's what Jesus experienced. He tasted hell, the Bible says, for every man, for that is hell. What he went through was hell. And being an eternal being, he tasted it for us, even though it was for three hours and not in a, in a quantity time of eternity. That makes our sin pretty significant, doesn't it? In light of what Jesus endured for us, we should be deadly serious about the sin in our lives. He paid an awesome price to ransom us from it. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this three-part message on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by our listeners. Here is Pastor Steve now to share some of the thoughts about why you might want to consider becoming involved. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on Verse by Verse. We believe that the Word of God has answers for problems. We know that life has stresses, life has pressures. We're looking for answers. We believe that the place to look is the Word of God, and we are uh, grateful every time we hear that someone is listening to the radio, and uh, our program has been transformed by by scripture because uh, the word of God is not only inspired but Paul said it is profitable and it will transform lives so we're grateful that uh, we could come into your home into your car and and help you deal with life's pressures 
If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. If you want to listen again to today's class, stop in at our website, versebyverseradio.org. There is a link on the front page to listen to today's program, as well as a link to the archives where you can find hundreds of previous lessons. We also offer a free podcasting service so that you can have each class available on your computer or MP3 player. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This class was the start of a three-part message on the significance of the cross. To hear the entire message, you can order a cassette or CD. To get your copy, call us at 727-239-0306. If you get the answering machine, just leave your name and phone number and we will call you back during regular office hours. Chuck Swindoll told about a newspaper ad he once saw. It read, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. Very soon he was receiving 10 to 20 calls a day. We are a lonely people, but we cannot begin to imagine the loneliness Jesus felt when the Father turned away from him for the first and only time in all of eternity. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.